this morning's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. All right, so we're starting a new series. We're in Hebrews, which obviously makes sense since we are going to be looking at Genesis. Um, but as we jump into Hebrews, uh, just like we did with Nahum, uh, you don't need to get them right now unless you like particularly want to, but make sure to take home with you, uh, one of these scripture journals. Uh, so, uh, if you recall from Nahum, basically one half of it is scripture. The other half is just blank. And as you study Hebrews on your own, you can be writing notes or thoughts of what the Lord is doing or speaking to you how the Lord is shaping you. If you want to use it during uh, sermons to do notes, you can also do that. Uh, however you want to do it, we just, we we love you. We want you to be in the Word. We want you to be finding Jesus and, and, and communing with the Lord in the Word and also to be able to come back to that. Uh, and so this this journaling Bible uh, is, is, is a helpful tool. And so go ahead and, and grab one of those uh, when, when you want. Um, we're going into Hebrews, and if you've heard me talk about Hebrews at all, you know that I'm very excited about this. Uh, in seminary, uh, I took a course on Hebrews, and it was one of the more shaping classes that I took. It showed me a lot of, or at least shaped the way that I come to the Scripture, and the way that I see Jesus in the Scripture. Uh, and, and it's a remarkable work. It, it really is a very sophisticated um, analysis, a very sophisticated commentary on Christ and, and the, the Old Covenant. But it wasn't written to be an Old Testament commentary. right? I think a lot of times when we come to the New Testament and we look at these letters that are written, we sort of take them out of time. We take them out of place and we, we divorce them from the fact that real people were writing letters to other real people in situations and that those situations matter. And instead we kind of break it down and we find like these theological tidbits from it or we find these pointers that make sense in our day uh, but don't necessarily uh, equate to what was going on. And so before we jump into Hebrews by jumping into Genesis... I would, I want to just talk about the book of Hebrews for a second. Right? Hebrews is, is a unique letter. Uh, one of the reasons it's a unique letter is because we don't know who wrote it. Right? Like people guess, but we don't know. And so if you hear me and it gets tedious saying the author, the author, the author, or if I accidentally say somebody and show my cards a little bit, just ignore that. Right? And, um, <clears throat> And just know that we don't know who wrote it. It doesn't start off like like uh, uh, Paul's letters or even Peter where, or any of them where it says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ to the brothers and sisters in Galatia or, or Peter to the elect exiles of the dispersion, right? Like it doesn't start like that. 
Uh, it just jumps in. But there's a lot that we can understand about the, the intended audience as we read this book. And the first is this, that it was written to early Christians and the way that the Old Testament is used and the ways that it's talked about how they received the gospel, it's likely that they were converted Jews. That they had come from, uh, they were, were first century Jewish folks who heard about Jesus and believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It's also likely that they were either poor or facing poverty and that their following Jesus was not a benefit to their status or a benefit to their pockets. So in a lot of ways, if you grew up in or uh, identify with American Christianity and particularly American evangelicalism, it's going to be hard to identify with this because of the amount of power and privilege that that position is held in this country. But nevertheless, their Christian faith was a hindrance to their mobility in society and and, and their, their socioeconomic status. It was getting hard. You might even say it was light persecution. And now persecution is persecution, and it doesn't help to compare suffering, and we do that so much. Like, oh, my suffering isn't that bad, because look at the suffering over there. But at the same time, they weren't being rounded up and executed. There was just a stigma about them. And there, they were, it was not easy to, to be a Christian at that point. And, 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 and it affected them. And that's hard. It's hard. And so, for many of the people that this, this author is writing to, that Hebrews was initially intended for, they're faced with a decision. They're faced with suffering and persevering in the name of Jesus. We're turning back from Jesus. Going back provides them with more sort of worldly security. Uh, going back sort of provides them with better standing. Following Jesus is harder, but they have this choice to face. And some of them are turning away. They're faced with the decision between, we talked about this last week and we've talked about this in the past, thinking through uh, if you came to pub theology again with Augustine and we talked about city of God, they're faced with the city of God and the city of man and what are they going to do? And Hebrews is a letter to them, encouraging them, exhorting them, pleading with them to keep the faith. Now, when we planned this, I didn't think that it would be as culturally relevant as it may be right now. Uh, as it seems like there's a wave of folks leaving the faith. Uh, uh, first of all, I just want to 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 bring a little perspective and say, like, this isn't anything new. Like, nothing about this time period is new or unique to the church. Uh, we shouldn't panic just because it feels like it's in our backyard. Um, but this is it. Jesus gave us a parable wherein there were seeds scattered everywhere and different types of soil and different types of ground reacted to that seed and some of it grabbed on and it took root and, and sprouted up really quickly, but it was, it was, it was this deep. And so when the sun hit it, it dried up and withered and died. Some of it was surrounded by thorns and, and those thorns choked it out and it died. Jesus told us this is what the faith is like. 
It's not easy. It's a narrow and straight life. It's a narrow door, a straight path. It's not easy. And as Christians, we should not be surprised when we see folks walk away or when we feel even in us that tension of life. Is this, is this worth it? Hebrews was written to a people asking that question. Is it worth it? And it's a book about keeping the faith. All of the themes that we see show up in Hebrews are meant to help us keep the faith. And as I was thinking about the themes, I didn't want this to be a lecture. I, I wanted to encourage you from the Word. And, and, and I was really, it's funny, I was drawn to Abram. Abram will come up. Abraham will come up in Hebrews. You'll see more and more of why, uh, why Abraham is so important and why it's interesting and why I chose this text. But I wanted for us for a moment to see the three themes that we're going to be hitting and highlighting over the course of our study in Hebrews. I'm going to give them to you up front so that you know. Um, <clears throat> and then we're going to jump into Genesis, actually 11 and 12. So that first scripture reading and the second scripture reading. All right. So the three things that we're going to see in this, and I'm going to do them in sort of ascending order. So like, uh, it's not like this is the first importance and then this, right? Uh, but I want us to see the unity of Scripture, the harmony of Scripture. Right? The Bible is a collection of poems and stories, of histories and wisdom writings and prophecies, and, and, and there's even like a legit, literally speaking, like there's a fable in Judges, right? Like it's got all of these genres, and it's written... Uh, and all of these things were written or spoken by men and women over millennia, and they were written to different people facing different things, and yet somehow there's this harmony to it. Somehow it all crescendos in this story of Jesus. So, so as we look through this, uh, this book, as we work our way through Hebrews, we're actually and this is part of the reason I love it, we're going to be jumping all around the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Hebrews is a good way to get the entire counsel of God, right? Like, if you were in the Old Testament, read the Psalms. And in the New Testament, this letter to the Hebrews, like, it jumps you into the Psalms. We'll be in the Psalms next week and the week after. We'll be in Genesis a bunch. We're going to be looking at Leviticus, right? And how do we deal with Leviticus? Hebrews gives us some insight into that, and it's remarkable. And so we see the unity of this, this gift that God has given us. And then as we see that, we're going to see the second theme, uh, the mission of God. The fact that God is not a distant God who is static uh, and unconcerned with the creation that he has made, but rather that God is a God, unlike any other God, who gets down and dirty and in creation, and he does work and who cares for the, the most surprising people, and who identifies with the least likely of people, and identifies with them to the point that he brings loving redemption. And so we get to see this redemptive, loving mission of God, and then ultimately, this question of the faith. Is it worth it? Should we press on? We're going to see this third theme over and over again of the sufficiency 
and the supremacy of Jesus. But to start, we're not even going to open up Hebrews. We're going to jump back to Genesis and tell two stories that are actually really remarkably connected in that, in the ways that, like, first of all, one comes right before the other, but in the juxtaposition and what it shows us about God and his mission and how he's working. So the first story, both of them should be familiar if you grew up in the church. If you didn't, maybe it's not familiar, and that's okay. Um, but you've probably heard of it. The first is the story of the Tower of Babel. So it says, the whole earth, I'm not here to debate if that's the whole known earth or the entire earth. Like, you're, you deal with that how you want. The whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and uh, bitumen for mortar. Right? Again, we're getting this story, and it's important. They've come together, the people, they have a common language, they have a common culture, and they have this idea. Let's come together, and let's make bricks, and, 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 and we'll make it from stone, and we'll, we'll make mortar from bitumen, and, uh, then they said, let's build ourselves a city with its tops to the heavens. Alright? So now they come together, and and this is what what culture does. This is this is what we're called to do. They come together and they build for themselves a city. Now, before we go any further, I want to make it very clear that humanity and people working together with shared culture, cultivating the land, taking raw material and making something that is for the flourishing and for the beauty and pleasure of human people, like that that is a good thing. Building cities and this idea of a city, this idea of a, a polis, of a culture, of a nation, like these are good and, and they're gracious gifts from God. And if all they were doing was building a city and a tower. And this story actually wouldn't be a story at all. It's what God created us to do, cultivate. You'll see that. The problem isn't cities. And so like I know some of you are not city folk, you know, and so I know that's devastating. Like I liked where this was going. Cities <laughs> ruin everything. Well, that wasn't a problem, but listen to what they continue to say. With its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, two things are happening here. Two things that are really important when we talk about the unity of Scripture and the mission of God. The first is this. They are trying to make a name for themselves. And so often this happens. 
we, we get into a culture or we, we form cultures and communities, whether it be by ethnic groups or whether it be by, uh, whatever social distinctions make up one. And so one major, uh, civic culture we could talk about is America, right? And we build a name for ourselves and our technology, our technological advancements, right? So you're like, man, they're making stuff with brick. That's nothing. But back then, the idea to crush up brick and to make mortar and to build a city and towers, like this is technological advancement that you wouldn't consider in a mostly agrarian age. And so they're technologically advanced. It means they're academically advanced. It means that they're culturally, they might feel themselves superior. Whatever it may be, this is a civilized country. This is a civilization. A civilization concerned with making a name for themselves. With their power, with their position, or with their prominence in the whole world. And so we run into this first problem where humans were created for something different. Humans were created for a relationship with each other and relationship with God. Humans were created as image bearers of God who would demonstrate and display the glory of God throughout the earth as they lived in harmony with God, with creation, with one another, and with themselves. God was meant to receive the glory. It was the name of God. Think about how often throughout the scriptures you say, you hear, let your name be magnified, or your name is great, or for your name's sake you did this, O God, or for your name's sake we do this. They're doing it for their name's sake, and they're missing this movement of God for God's glory. That's the first thing. But the second thing is actually really really remarkable, and you might miss it. It says, lest we just be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let's go back to that original Genesis 1 for a second. Genesis 2, actually. Both of them. What does God tell humanity to do in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? Do you remember? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, we're moving spaces because a children's classroom will be nice and more space to gather will be great and more space to do ministry like, like this job fair is really important, right? But there's kind of a principle there. We started in a living room in a red house on Facebook. And very quickly it became evident that the red house could not contain the number of bodies that were gathering in it. So if you're fruitful and multiply and you're occupying a limited space, what's going to happen? Right? You're going to overflow that space. And if you continue to be fruitful and, and multiply, and if they, if you think about them in gardening, and we'll come back to the garden, actually we will uh, in like five weeks, um, come back to the garden, right? Like if they did all of those things, eventually the entire face of the earth, like humanity would be dispersed around the entire face of the earth, bearing God's image, living in harmony, and the earth would be as God created it to be. This demonstration of his glory by the loving, harmonious relationship of his creation. And so when they say, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth, this isn't like a diaspora community that's concerned because they've been taken away from each other. This is them saying, let us settle here and not move further out. Like, 
the mission of God and the mission of man, the city of God, the purposes of God, and the purposes of man find themselves confronting one another. So God intervenes. And he came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, confuse their languages, so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth, from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. Right. So now when you understand what humans were created to do and the fact that they are coming against it, you begin to understand that not only are they not only are they doing something other than God's mission for them, they're also doing something therefore that is less than fully human. That God loves them. And and I'm saying this and I'm I'm, I'm hitting this as we, we move through this because I I used to read this text. I used to read this story and kind of be like, come on, God. Like, really? Like, think about how petty God sounds. If the only reason that he's doing this is because they can do anything if they team up. Right? And, and, and if you, if you read the story and you see it like that, then all of a sudden it's like, no, God has one thing that he wants to do. These humans have a thing they can do. He's a little nervous of what they'll be able to do if they all gather together with their same language. And so he's like, can't let that happen. He scatters them. But what's really happening here is that they are acting outside of the way that God has created humanity to be, which means there's a loss of humanity in God and his grace. God and his grace is not letting them fulfill their deepest desire to lose themselves to lose their identity with him. God is separating them as a measure of grace. And we see this grace displayed in the fact that now, all of a sudden, God gets to demonstrate his glory by people of every tribe and tongue and nation. So we get all the families of the earth here, right? And so in one story, the people are trying to build a name for themselves. So they make a city. They're trying to reach to the heavens. They're not trying to get to God. They're trying to replace and supplant God. And so God scatters them. And then right away, there's a little genealogy in there. Genealogy is important, but we're not going to talk about that now. The very next story, we're not in a city full of culture, a city full of technological advancement, academic pursuit. We are in the country. It's a little shepherd, farmer guy, he owns some property. He owns some people. If he has servants and workers and, you know. But still, instead of the people building their way up to the heavens, God comes down to Abraham. And he says, this is how we're going to do it. So you're going to leave this place. You're going to go to a land that I have, uh, that I'll show you. That's even crazier. Like, where are we going to go? Just, We'll get there. Right? Like, if you don't like surprises and 
and this is not like the best method, right? Like, hey, get in the car. Why? Uh, you'll find out. No, no. I've seen one too many movies to do that. But God says, I'll show you. And I will make of you a great nation. If he's doing it for his sake, I'll make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that your name is great? No, so that you will be a blessing. See, God is not doing something wholly different. He's not like, no, here's what we're going to do. You just stay right here. And we're going to keep everything sort of agrarian. Like if you look from Genesis to Revelation, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a trajectory. It starts with the garden, but it ends with the city of God. It starts with the farmer, shepherd, and it ends with the nation. Right? When God says work the garden and keep it, that's a cultural activity. Cultivate the land. Make it, cultivate it into what you need. And, and God is doing that. So again, it wasn't the fact that they were building a nation in a city. It was, it was why they were doing it and what the outcome would be. And so there is this trajectory that God has, not just for the cosmos, but for his people, that they will be a nation and that that nation will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth and that they will, that those who bless them, God will bless, but also that they will be cursed by people, that they will run into those who would curse them. And even then God will be for them and with you and even still, the ones who bless God's people and the ones who curse God's people, God's people are a blessing too. There's a mission here. We find ourselves walking in that. We find ourselves both the recipient of the blessing and those who are now adopted into the family to bless. And Hebrews gives us all of that. And so as we as we look at Abram and what he's doing, we then see this last thing, right? So if, if, if you've tracked, you're seeing the unity of Scripture. This, this, this really interesting storytelling where we go from a garden to a city by seeing people who are scattered gather and then get scattered and then gather again scattered and gathered again, right? Like there's this really interesting rhythm to the scriptures. But then uh, we, we uh, also see the mission of God at play, that God is redeeming all things through this city, this nation, this family, that he's calling us, the unknown ones, to be a part of. And the last thing, just hidden in here, the sufficiency, the supremacy of Jesus. From you, all the nations will be blessed. I, I threw out the genealogy earlier, but genealogy is really important. Families are really important. Seed is really important. And it goes back to Genesis 3 and the curse. I told you, we're going to be all over the Bible in the next few things, right? Like, seed is really important because there's a promise. There's a promise that the seed of the woman will conquer the seed of the serpent, of the beast, right? 
the seed of the woman will be victorious. And so right after that, we get children and then genealogies. And genealogies are, are chasing and chasing that promised seed, waiting. Is this the one? And then we get blitz. Genealogy, 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 Noah. Is he the one? No, trust me, he's not, right? There's a blip. Then genealogy, 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 Abram. Is he the one? Well, uh, I mean, he's got faith and that faith is counted to him as righteousness, but when he gets into Egypt and his wife, he, he's not the one. All right. So then genealogy, 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 Moses, he's a murderer. Genealogy, David, we know all about David. He kind of combines the best and the worst of everybody's, right? And we get this, we're following the seed. God promises that your family, through your family, you will be a blessing. Your seed will be a blessing. And so now we are looking and seeing that God is promising here to Abram just the continuation of what he promised to Eve, even in the curse. That there's a coming seed. That in your family will come the one who will bless all of the earth. The author of Hebrews, as well as all the apostles in the early church, and all of those who have, as we did this morning, professed and confess our faith together. All of them believe that this promise to you, this promise to you, this promise to you, this promise to you, is the one that they called Jesus to follow. So the author of Hebrews is doing all of this to remind his recipients that the Bible is moving in a direction and that God is moving in a direction and that God has invited them to move in this direction and that in the center of all of this, in the front, in the end, in the center, the one leading the way is Jesus. He's reminding them that they have been saved out of something into Jesus. He's reminding them that God is moving from a garden to a city that God is cultivating and that he'll even say later on, he'll say that Abraham left because he believed that he was going to, he was looking for a city. Not a city built by human hands, but one whose architect, whose founder, whose builder was the Lord. He was moving that way. And all we who find ourselves in Christ then find ourselves as Abraham's spiritual seed moving towards the city. And all of these things that are pushing, pulling us away whether, whether they look like good things, whether they come masked in political power or financial power or cultural control, or whether they come in obviously bad things like, like persecution and ridicule and, and, and fear and anxiety, like whatever they come in, if they are pulling us away from that, they're pulling us from the city of God towards the city of human hand where we, uh, where <clears throat> where we're trying to make a name for ourselves instead of loving our, loving our neighbor as ourselves, where we're loving our own well-being over loving God, where we're allowing, whether it be the thorns or the sun, to choke out that plant, that work that God is doing in you. Hebrews can be a terrifying book because it's written to people who were seemingly faithful and he walked away. The warning beyond that 
It's meant to be an encouragement. And all of this is, is for us. It was written to them, but it's for us. And so right now, right now, you in here, are you wrestling with this? Like, is it hard right now to believe? Is it hard to see what God is doing? Because of the circumstances of your life, because of the circumstances of the country, because of the circumstances of the world, whatever. Is it, are you wrestling with things? Is your faith costing seemingly more than it's worth? Are you afraid? Do you feel distant? Is he worth it? As we study Hebrews, and even now, like I want you to know that the, the answer to the question, is Jesus worth it, is resoundingly yes. Are you wrestling with faith? Good. Keep wrestling. God will meet you in that struggle. Do you feel distant? Yes, you might. But God is near even now. He is with you. God is moving even now. God has made promises, and he is keeping them in Jesus even now. God has begun you on a journey, and that journey is arduous. We were watching The Lord of the Rings because my kids actually wanted to watch Lord of the Rings, and I have not been prouder in days, <laughs> right? No. <laughs> right? But at one point, and it was very funny, uh, they had journeyed to one point, and they had stopped. They were in the land of the elves, and, and then... Uh, they started journeying again, and Hazel was shocked. She's like, I thought that was the journey. There's more journeying? I was like, oh, babe, this is three movies of journeying. Like, it's three, three dense books of, of journeying. But isn't that life? Journeying. God has you on a journey, and he will not abandon you. He's with you. Hebrews is about the Christian life. It's about when the Christian life was tough. And it's reminding us of a God who called a nobody shepherd from Ur of the Chaldeans said, I'm going to bless everybody for you. And then actually did it. Actually did it. The same God is with us. So we get to be in Christ. Let's pray.